0: You remind me of
1: the babe. What babe?
0: The babe with
1: power. What power?
0: Power of voodoo. Voodoo? You do remind me of the babe.
1: Welcome to the 38th episode of the True North Witches podcast and in keeping with our theme of the month, which is Witches' is Tools, I will be speaking about the Witches' Staff and Stang
0: and I will be uh, speaking about the Crystal Ball. Um, but I also want to mention, because uh, we haven't mentioned it yet in the, in the start of this series, is we're talking about Witches' Tools I don't want to make it very clear because uh, we've said it before. You don't need these things. You don't. And if you're wondering what you do need, I'd like you to go stand in front of a mirror and look back at yourself because that's it.
1: I, I will reiterate this at the end, um, but I'm going to say it again in the beginning. Next episode is our creepy cast. Please get your creepy stories in so that we may read them on the podcast. I only have one, and if you do not send us your creepy, scary, weird, spooky, odd stories, then you get to listen to us talk about ourselves for an hour and a half.
0: Isn't that fun? I mean, people do listen to us, apparently, so I mean...
1: So, the witchy fact of the day... (laughs) is, in New York, you must disclose to potential buyers that your house is haunted. In 1991, Strambowski v. Eckley established case law that requires sellers to tell prospective buyers if they'll have, uh, if they'll have to share their space with apparitional roommates.
0: Mm. I thought there was a law everywhere. I don't think so. Like, you have to disclose. Oh, no, no. If you have to disclose if there's been a murder.
1: If there's a murder, not necessarily if it's haunted. Yeah. Are we doing what actual tarot or are we today? Or are we actually? Because you've surprised me a couple of times. Or are we doing Oracle? It's a wild
0: tarot. Ooh. A wild unknown tarot. And the card I got is Father of Wands. Um, the Father of Wands is a man of mystique and charisma. Others are drawn to him naturally, and he welcomes them with an open and loving heart. Usually you'll find him in, involved in healing arts, as he's deeply compassionate and in tune with life and nature. He's able to hold steady and still during conflict. So This is a good card to pull. Uh, basically, it's, it's um, like support that you have in your life and to rely on it.
1: This card called me out, but not in a bad way. I was going to say, it's like not about bad card. Like, how is it calling you out? Oh! before we forget because we seem to forget often shit our witchy other non-witchy other halves have said this one actually i got i remember because when i was editing i i i heard tj say this steph and i were talking about some stuff that we're still keeping under our belts but let's just say we were talking about the elements and so we were talking about like earth wind and fire and Stuff like that. And my other half, TJ, pops up and he goes, I didn't know something about not knowing that they were still a thing or something, talking about Earth, Wind, and Fire, the band. Oh, okay. And um, this just continues with Stephanie going, <laughs> So if the elements are a band, is casting a circle put, putting the band back together? Putting the band back together. I love it. I don't
0: have um, a witchy facts or a witchy uh, thing my other half says, because I've been pretty quiet. Um, it, it's been very busy at work.
1: Or anything yeah. cute that he's done or said. Well, you said he did something cute. He made me
0: two fabulous dinners.
1: That's true. That is very cute. He did make you two fabulous.
0: Oh, and then after dinner today, as I was working on stuff, he looks at me and goes, "Would you like a tea?" Oh. Now, I've been, I was thinking of making myself a tea since I got home, and it's like he just knew hmm. that I wanted a tea.
1: That's so cute. I am doing the staff and the stang, and so the staff, uh, the witch's staff, is one of the less common tools that you hear about. Everyone knows the wand, besom, etc., but not so many have come across this particular item. The staff does actually have very specific purposes, marking out a ritual area, attracting spirits by striking against the ground, and as a power conduit to draw and channel power or energy from the sun, the moon, and nature itself. Some witches will decorate the staff to a particular element or purpose. Traditionally, the staff is a long, Sturly branch, which is often decorated with various symbols, although this is not something that is mandatory. The symbols can be carved or burnt or even painted on. It can also be adorned with items from nature. There is no one right length for a staff. Shoulder height is comfortable for most people, though longer or shorter is fine. It can be made from any wood, although originally elder or rosewood were the most common. Uh, And that was from PsychicRevelation.com. The staff is typically associated with power and authority, and in some traditions, only the high priestess or high priest carries one. In other traditions, anyone may have one. Much like the wand, the staff is considered symbolic of male energy and usually is used to represent the element of air although in some traditions it symbolizes fire. And that is from Learn Religions, and that's all I had for you for staff. But we also then go into the stang, which is basically a forked staff of usually two or three times that can serve many purposes. It can act as a vertical altar, a bridge to the other world, a symbol of the world tree, a symbol of or altar to a deity, a walking or traveling stick, or as a staff, or to raise and or direct energy, and to mark ritual space. It is usually used by hedge witches or other traditional witches, but can be incorporated into numerous paths. This historic, The historical origins of this tool are not clear. Some say Robert Cochrane invented the tool, but it seems more likely that he just reintroduced the tool to modern day witchcraft and perhaps gave new meaning to the tool. Old woodcuts of witches show them using a forked staff, uh, sometimes riding it, along with other traditional witches' items such as the besom and the cauldron. It is possible that the staff shown was related to a cooking stick, hay fork, die staff, or another common tool. One possible origin of the term stang comes from the Old Norse language and can be roughly translated as staff, pole, or rod. Others speculate that it comes from the Old English, English language and shares a similar root with the word dystaff. In modern use, the stang is often made of ash or another wood symbolic of the wall tree, such as rowan, yew, yu, or hawthorn. It is not uncommon to see other woods being used for their uh, various properties. The wood used really depends on what the stang's primary use will be and the personal preference of the witch making it. Some use fallen branches and may not even know what wood the fallen branch is, seeing the branch as a gift from nature others choose to connect with a tree and cut a branch from it, wishing the specific energies and bond with the, with the tree. Again, it comes down to personal preference. There is no set size for a stang, as with a regular staff as well. While they are usually staffs, some choose to make smaller, almost wand size stangs. The like huge stangs are usually uh, coven tools in traditional witchcraft, Uh, witchcraft a solitary might instead take uh, (laughs) a solitary might instead like to use a small walking stick type or even a wand type depending on what they want to use their stang for where they practice and how portable they need their stang to be a stang often ends in a natural two-pronged fork although sometimes a three-pronged fork is used Larger stangs are sometimes topped with a skull with antlers or horns or just the antlers or horns to make the fork. Metal tines can also uh, be added instead of the natural fork. The bottom of the stang can sometimes be covered with a metal point or the wood slightly sharpened to make it easier to drive into the ground during ritual. Stangs can be decorated in various ways. Natural decorations such as bones, beads, feathers, fur, leather, shells, cotton ribbon, or string are common. It can also be stained, painted, sanded, carved, or burned with symbols or patterns. Of course, it can be free of any decoration as well. How it is decorated will depend on what it will be used for, uh, the personal symbolism the witch chooses, and individual taste. The stang is rich in many layers of symbolism. As a symbol of the world tree, the top fork can represent the upper world, the middle staff section, the middle world, and the end, which is driven into the earth, the lower world. Two prongs can also represent feminine energies the staff, mem- masculine energies, the, uh, the whole, the union between the two. It can also symbolize union between the sky and earth. Or, wrong one prong of the fork can symbolize feminine energies, the second prong, masculine, and the staff creation uh, manifest. The two prongs can also represent duality dark, light, sun, moon, sky, earth, seen, unseen, physical world, spiritual world, life, death, etc. While the middle section of the staff can represent balance between the two, it is a symbol of union, cycles and transformation. Some see the stang as a totally masculine tool, especially when used as a symbol of or altar to a god. However, others see the stang as a rel- uh, as a relative of the dye staff, a traditional woman's tool used in spinning. Especially true of three-pronged stangs, but also in the two-pronged ones as well. As a tool of feminine energies and spinning, it can represent Creative energies and is sometimes used as a symbol of fate or of a goddess in this way. The stain can also act as a portable altar, representing all the elements or common ritual tools in one object. The fort can be seen as the chalice, water, the middle section of the staff as athame or fire. The hole can be used as a wand, air, and when driven into the earth completes the connection between all elements, especially true with a metal-tipped end. As it has many symbolic meanings, so can it have many ritual uses. It can be used as a symbol of the world tree, an aid to create a gap in the hedge or thinning of the veil, an assistant to shamanic journeying. When used in this way, it is generally struck into the middle of the ritual space. The stang can be used in a similar way as a wand to focus and direct energy. The stang can help pull up energy from the earth or aid in grounding energy when ritual is over or after other world work. As a staff, it can be used to draw out the compass or ritual space on the ground. A stang topped with a horn skull or just the horns can also be dressed up in a shirt or robe and act as a protector who watches over the ritual, sometimes called a scared crow in this form. In a similar way, it can act as a symbol or altar of a horn deity. In this form, it is often placed in the north section of the ritual space or moves with the cycles of the sun in a uh, daily or yearly way. For example, in the south at noon or at Letha, In this form, it can be placed into a cauldron to represent the cycle of life, death, and rebirth, uh, an especially popular symbol at Suin, but can be used at other times. The stang also makes a fine walking stick for a wandering witch. A small bundle of ritual items can be hung from the fork, or just below it, to be carried to the working site, or if one is out foraging to carry things back home. During a night ritual, when a fire is not wanted, a small lantern can be hung from the stang to allow a bit of working light. Uh, This person has also seen a few uses that are more obscure, such as being used as a sighting pole, which is interesting. Uh, Usually the stang is decorated for times of celebration, especially when it is serving as an altar or representation of the world tree or of a deity. For example, after erecting the stang in the ritual space on Beltane, it could be decorated with garlands or flowers and ribbons, or a wreath and other evergreens at Yule. Libations or other offerings can be left at the base of the stang. When used as an altar for ritual focus, it can be stuck in the middle of a ritual space, or at the north or of the compass, or on Sabbats at the corresponding direction: northeast on embalk, east on Ostara, etc. Like many ritual objects, different individuals and traditions often put their own meaning to the stang. Um, And I found that at hearthandhedge.blogspot.com. And that is all I really had for you for the staff and the stang.
0: Nice. Um, So I am talking about uh, the crystal ball. Um, So a crystal ball, also known as an orbucula or crystal sphere, is a crystal or glass ball and common fortune-telling object. It is generally associated with the performance of clairvoyance and scrying in particular. In more recent times, the crystal ball has been used for creative photography with the term lens ball, commonly used to describe a crystal ball used as a photography prep. So the, the crystal ball is a mysterious object. Uh, and it's displayed in every metaphysical store, and it is seen in movies, books, and pop culture, and there's even uh, little phone icons for it um but how it (laughs) earned uh its elusive presence is less clear uh and it's less clear than the past present and future it purports to predict um (laughs) it's true it's true the first adopters of the crystal gazing would stare deeply into the stone falling into a meditative trance that would allow the subconscious to open and reveal secrets of the past present or future um although popular opinion would have us believe psychics are only good for knowing what's going to happen true crystal balls can see in any chronological direction depending on the seer's ability um and, and you know i, I love them because like you remember the old uh old machines where you could put like money in and get your little fortune
1: With the people in, like, not the actual. The one I'm
0: specific. The one I'm thinking about is the guy. It's a
1: yeah animatronic.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. and he's sitting there. He's got his crystal ball, (coughs) and it gives you like a fortune and then your lucky numbers.
1: It was like the great something.
0: Yeah, and it started with a Z. Z Zafar.
1: Someone let us know because I'm not cutting this part out that i would like mm-hmm. i would like to know please email us if anything <laughs> that i feel like we're kind of old in saying that but also we are, oh, are so. for this podcast.
0: yeah um so the act of gazing into a uh, translucent surface to uh see prophecy uh, is known zoltar yes <laughs> the great and powerful zoltar Um, So the act of looking uh, for prophecy in a crystal sphere um, is called scrying, and we've talked about scrying before. And while it's uh, not a great sounding word uh, to say out loud, the practice practice can be used on literally anything, including blood, water, mirrors, and even oily fingernails. Don't spit your drink out. (laughs) The crystal balls are the most common uh, mechanism for this type of divination. Uh, in the first century CE, Pliny the Elder describes use of the crystal of crystal balls by um soothsayers. By the fifth century CE, scrying was widespread within the Roman Empire, and was condemned by the early medieval Christian Church as heri- heretical. Uh, Doctor John Dee was noted a noted British um, mathematician, astronomer, astrologer, geographer, and consultant to Queen Elizabeth I. And he devoted much, much of his time to alchemy, divination, and hermetic philosophy, of which the use of crystal balls was often included. Crystal gazing was a popular pastime in the Victorian era. It was claimed to work best when the sun is at its northmost uh, declination. Immediately before the appearance of a vision, the ball was said to mist up from within. The art of, or process of seeing is, of course I said no as crying, Uh, Whereby images are claimed to be (coughs) seen in crystals or other media, such as water, and are interpreted as meaningful information. The information gleaned then is used to make important decisions in one's life. Example, love, marriage, finance, travel, and business. When the technique of scrying is used with crystals or any transparent body, it is known as crystal 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 mancy or crystal gazing. Don't know. <laughs> Apparently, can't read. A crystal ball lies in the um. There's a crystal ball that lies in a scepter of Scotland that is said to be have been originally possessed by pagan druids. Uh, so this is like some places where there's actual like crystal balls. Um, Philadelphia's University of Pennsylvania Museum of Archaeology and Anthropology, also called Penn Museum for short was the third largest crystal ball as the central object in its Chinese rotunda. Weighing 49 pounds, the sphere is made of quartz crystal from Burma and was shaped through years of constant rotation in a semi cylindrical container filled with emery, garnet, garnet powder, and water. The ornamental treasure was <coughs> purportedly made for the Empress Dowager Z. During the uh, Qing Dynasty, the 19th century, but no evidence as to its actual origins exist. Some some archaeologists one day found this big-ass crystal ball. I want a big-ass crystal ball. In 1988, the crystal ball and an ancient Egyptian statue, which depicted the god Osiris, were stolen from the Penn Museum, but were recovered three years later with no damage done to either object. Joseph Smith claimed to use a seer stone in a hat to translate an ancient language reformed Egyptian from Golden Plates, which is published as the Book of Mormon. <laughs> um, a crystal ball was among the grave goods of the um, Merovingian Meroving king, uh, Childric uh, the First, who lived... Uh, during 437 and 481 AD, uh, the grave goods were discovered in 1653, and in 1831, they were stolen from the Royal Library in France, where they were being kept. Few this items were ever to recovered.
1: This um a theme here.
0: Uh, and they get stolen? Yeah. yeah. The crystal ball was not among them, so um, the oldest one found hasn't been recovered, still missing. Oh, shit. Many cultures utilize some form of ancient crystal healing or divination. The most obvious association with the crystal ball comes from the Middle Ages, which lasted from around the time the Druids disappeared until the Renaissance in the 15th century. Though its path is murky, the crystal ball was thought to be used throughout the medieval period by Anglo-Saxons as both a means of magic and a flashy fashion accessory, a type of middle age bling, so to speak. Someone even suggests that the mythical magician Merlin chose to tote around a barrel ball for those times King Arthur needed an emergency reading. During this time, crystal spheres <laughs> set in wire fastings were used as symbols of power, class status, and possibly a magic talisman that warded off sickness and evil. During excavations of middle, middle uh, medieval graves in Kent, these crystal ball amulets were found in several graves of wealthy women and a few men between their knees, along with other possessions that indicated their wealth. Um, the Oxford Illustrated Dictionary of Medieval England guesses that the crystal balls could have pointed to associations with pagan cults. Uh, following the reign of significance in the Middle Ages, the crystal ball gained notable recognition in the 16th century because of John Dee, a royal advisor to Queen Elizabeth I. Uh, Dee was interested in the occult, but had no luck as a medium himself. After meeting a traveling scryer named Edward Kelly, the two began to conduct scrying sessions during which they would claim to visualize and communicate with angels, and sometimes demons, through a dark obsidian crystal ball. Ooh, sounds pretty. He kept, uh, <laughs> give me too. He kept, fast- kept fastidious notes on these ball-bound conversations, believing that angels were a direct line to God, and eventually leading him to create the Enochian or angelic language.
1: Enochian.
0: Enochian, sorry. His partner in Scrying, however, claimed that he had received a message from an angel that the two men must share everything, including their wives. Shortly after that, their relationship dissolved for good, though there was one diary entry that somewhat confirms an actual wife swap did occur. The angels made me do it. As more modern high-profile crystal ball counselors, um, Jean Dixon was gifted a crystal ball at an early age, developed seeing powers and became something of a celebrity psychic for her sometimes, on the mark, political predictions. Most notoriously, she correctly uh, saw in the 1956 issue of Prada, our Parade magazine, that a Democratic president would be elected and then s- assassinated. Example, um, said president being John F. Kennedy. That's not to say that she was already correct in her guesses, uh, always correct in her guesses. A number were outrageously wrong. She was positive that Alf Baldwin would fall terribly ill in 1997, and that Ellen DeGeneres would crash their presidential inauguration and that, that 1958 would be, see the beginning of World War III. Dixon apparently carried it around her trusty ball parties, stopping to give the occasional reading for passerbys. During Nixon's time in office, Dixon acted as an advisor after correctly predicting a terrorist attack. <laughs> she then joined Nancy Reagan's uh, coterie, uh of trusted astrologers. After her death, Dixon's primary crystal ball was auctioned off at almost $12,000. Perhaps the most uh, pervasive depiction of the crystal ball comes from the image of a woman, usually thought to be a gypsy, swathed in a vibrant scarf and scarves and cloaked in cascades of bangles, earrings and rings, rattling off tales of the future and passed over a velveteen tablecloth. So the Romani. In a sense, the picture isn't inaccurate. Coming to Europe from Northern India, Roma was, uh, Romas were persecuted almost instantly because among other things, the Catholic church wasn't too happy about um, that they practiced fortune telling. Being constantly on the move, the Roma adopted trades that could pick up and go at a moment's notice, uh, which is how the crystal ball reader at a roadside carnival trope probably began. By the 1930s, gypsy Americans virtually controlled the, fortune-telling industry, though not without a struggle that's cloaked in stigma. In a small Virginia town, fortune-telling was only deemed legal last year, uh, in a new, or a couple of years ago in a new, in New York, a law from 1967 can still affect those, uh, trading fortunes for cash. So I'm not sure if the, um, if they're referred to as the Roma or the Romani, or if that's two different things, or types, or two different people. for
1: it might be too too separate. I don't know. I would have to look that up.
0: Yeah. Once the crystal ball became more visible as a result of traveling uh, of traveling Roma, stage magicians of the early 20th century ho- hopped on to the fortune telling train, perform acts of crystal gazing um, to odd audiences. The most well known performer was perhaps Alexander, the man who knows. At the height of his career, according to several biographers, Alexander was the highest-paid mentalist, um, a performer that claims to have heightened cognitive powers in the world. Armed with a crystal ball, Alexander would answer audience questions that were sealed in envelopes before the show. His actual crystal-gazing power is up for debate, as after his retirement he published The Life and Mysteries of the Celebrated Dr. Q, where many of the mentalists and psychic tricks of the trade revealed including how to deceive all the clients and audiences Ooh. Uh, and then they put in a fun fact if he also married seven times sometimes more than one woman so go alexander uh, so you know like the david and busters and you just really want some like insight right uh without the human interaction they have a mechanized character usually in some sort of problematic getup, and just like the zoltar who can predict your future.
1: Dave and Buster's, really? Mm-hmm.
0: These fortune teller machines have been out <laughs> for so long and most of them don't even work anymore, but you'd see them at fairs, uh, arcades. Uh, the one that I happened to use, the uh, Zoltar one, um, was at the Ripley's Believe It or Not in Niagara Falls uh, when we went back in September when things opened up. <laughs> so crystal balls and pop culture. Uh, certainly, the reference of the crystal ball and pulp culture are uh, innumerable. So um, we're just going to talk about the big ones. Uh, the biggest one uh, is the, the most iconic is from The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> Faced Dorothy makes a visit to Professor Marvel, who uh, replaces his wide-brimmed fedora with a snug turban and spreads babble about his crystal descending from the likes of Cleopatra and Osiris before being interrupted by the rumblings of an oncoming tornado. In other scenes, the um, the Wicked Witch of the West sparks orders at her giant crystal orb and keeps watch over Dorothy and the squad as they skip down a yellow brick road and get faded in a field of poppies. Later, Dorothy being held captive by the Wicked Witch desperately, desperately sobs to a fleeing image of Auntie M in the crystal sphere. The ball from the film, later sold, for over 100,000, with part of the proceeds going to a New Jersey teen arts program. David Bowie's cult classic performance as Jareth, uh, the Goblin King in Labyrinth, saw him constantly spinning and waving and sliding crystal orbs through his hands, the way some fancy mixologists toss together a cocktail. Um, These balls weren't meant to be used as lenses into the past or future, more as a vague symbol of dreams. And Bowie didn't actually manipulate the balls at all, Instead juggler uh, Michael Morshin stood behind him and reached through Bowie's armpits to perform the crystal ball-related scene. So the analogy of uh, gazing into the crystal ball is used in sports technology, business, and politics, among other things, to refer to forecasting future events. So this is like modern, the modern version of scrying, right? Um, this is another oversimplification, the modern practice of reading a crystal ball which like most of all forms of divination can be a healing device for, t- for the client, not a predictor of the future. Uh, one squire, Gina, Gina Jean, says that the point of using a crystal ball is for empowerment and guidance rather than for all seeing eye into the future. It's not Sauron's eye, you know, like this isn't Lord of the Rings. <laughs> seers right witches time? for the win. Uh, yes. Um, today you'll find <laughs> most seers don't read crystal balls exclusively. Instead, the divination orb is used as a side dish to other types of, uh, of uh, readings, such as tarot, horoscopes, palm readings. Um, and according to New York City astrologers, Kim Allen, her crystal ball adds a dash of hot sauce to her con- fun, uh, consulting sessions. Allen uses two types of balls. One made of clear, bright crystal quartz; the other of a dark, smoky obsidian. Um, the can amplifies that someone is feeling and needs addressed while the latter brings up uh, people or things that need removed from one's life. Ellen instructs her clients to choose the ball they're drawn to, and then she asks them to wave their hands over the ball to energetically charge it. As she reads, Ellen will see symbols that reflect a bigger picture rather than seeing distinct events that occurred in the past or have yet to unfold. After reading, Ellen will cleanse the ball in Florida water, um, which For anyone who doesn't know what Florida water is, yeah, gotta get it. Bury it in a sea salt for three to four days and then keep it on her bedside table for about a week to regain a connection to the ball. That seems excessive, but I mean that's what feels right to her. Um, Throughout its enduring history, the crystal ball still remains one of the most powerful and ever-present cultural images um, when you think of mysticism. Uh, We think of it not only as a means of finding insight, but also as a firmly rooted image of culture given that magic and witchcraft are seeing a surge in popularity for good reason these practices give voice to the marginalized and found community uh, in the other plus it's not so wrong to embrace the appeal of the psychic anymore you can wear your clairvoyance uh, on your sleeve and still be on trend regardless of whether or not they really do reflect anything about us those shiny crystal orbs definitely aren't going anywhere, though they can definitely start a fire. Yes, be careful where you place your crystal orbs.
1: Or if you're putting it in a spot that it does have a lot of light, cover the bitch with, like, a cloth. or Yeah, I keep mine on my altar, and we don't
0: have any lights in there, really, so.
1: Well, that's, that's my thing, too. Like, I sort of have a window there, but it doesn't get a lot of sunlight. I still slightly cover it, but just when... You know, I know it's a really sunny day.
0: Yeah. So, so I got my sources from um, Wikipedia, Vice, <coughs> uh, Mentalfloss.com. Really? hmm
1: Nice.
0: Yeah. But that's all I have for you on uh, crystal balls.
1: Whenever anybody says crystal balls, it reminds me of, you know, those people – And they're very talented that take those like metal balls and like spin them around their fingers and their arms. And oh my God, if you do that and you listen to us, kudos to you, you are very talented. Mm -hmm. But that is all we have for you today. Um, I will say, and I know I said this at the beginning, but it seems to not go through to people. Please get your Creepy, spooky, creepy stories. It is next episode, so I need them. So please get your weird creepy stories for our next creepy cast into True North Witches at gmail.com. Um
0: you can also send them to our Facebook page at True North Witches.
1: You can find us on our Instagram at True North Witches, where you can also direct message us and we will get those creepy stories on your onto the web onto the podcast next time round
0: also find us on tiktok at true north witches
1: you can also find us on twitter where we never tweet
0: and you can also find us on our website www.truenorthwitches.com
1: you can also find us on youtube at true north witches
0: and on patreon um true north witches or search in the toolbar no, no it's www.patreon.com forward slash um P and W podcast, or you can search us in the search bar True North Witches Podcast.
1: Yes. And I think that's everything. I think so. Anyway, that's all we have for you today, ladies and gentlemen. You have a wonderful week, and we'll see you in our next episode, which is our creepy cast. Have fun, Yes-y. witches. See
0: you. Bye. Bye.
1: Bye.